So Ephesians chapter three, and we're just picking it up here again where we left off last week. And what's interesting is, you know, many people have viewed Paul as just this real intellectual, and he was. I mean, Paul, a brilliant guy. But what's really interesting is as brilliant as Paul was and as prolific as a writer Paul was, as he's looking to write scriptures out, there were times where he was just so overcome with the goodness of God that he just kind of turned into a babbling fool in a sense. Fool's probably not the right word. But what's interesting in chapter three here is Paul begins with these words. Let me just read it for you. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, free Gentiles. And he goes into big parentheses now. See, what Paul's desires is to come and pray for the church and to pray for all that he's been talking about here in chapter two. And he wants to bring this into just, I'm so thankful, Lord, for the work you've done. And I wanna pray for these believers here. But as he begins to do that, he just starts to move on again to just ramble about the greatness of God. And he just gets so overwhelmed and just starts to share all these things. And he won't even get into the prayer until verse 14. What he wants to start in verse one, he doesn't even get to until verse 14. Because he's just like, oh my God, I just can't even stop talking about how good this is. And I pray as we go through this, we ourselves are just being so overwhelmed at the goodness and the greatness of God that we're so excited for the work that he's done as we will take time to break down because Paul's taking time to remind us about it again as he's just so excited for this. But so again, what has Paul been talking about? Because he says for this reason, so he's tying it in to what we've just been looking at. Well, all through Ephesians, I mean, we've seen about the great blessings that we have um, in Christ Jesus All the blessings that are in the heavenly places are ours because of Christ Jesus. We've been adopted in as sons. And chapter two, we've been saved by the grace of God. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive. And then at the end of chapter two, Paul's been talking about how not only has God saved us, but now he's brought us together, people from all different backgrounds and walks of life. No matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, he's brought us all together as one new man in, in Christ to where we are new citizens. As we saw last week, we are part of a new family. And now we are also being fitted together as a new temple that God indwells, that we get to worship God collectively together, corporately as one group, the church. And this is what Paul has been talking about and writing about. And he's just been so excited and overwhelmed that he wants to move in a prayer of thanks and and praying for people just to really understand this further. But he can't even get in that prayer as he just starts to move on and talk about all these things again. And he's so excited about these things, it doesn't even matter. You know, he says, I, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, I hope this has no prophetic bearing on us here today, but be prepared here. We're living in some strange times right now. And I hope this isn't something that is, you know, to come. But even so, understand Paul's heart. He's sitting in a prison place right now. And he's not bummed out. He's not discouraged. He's writing with great elation at the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love that he's experienced in God. All that God is doing and continuing to do even while Paul is sitting in a prison cell. He is excited. This guy is pumped right now. And nothing is discouraging him from any of that. And I pray that, regardless of what we might be experiencing or seeing, that we don't get discouraged. We just go, Lord, you're faithful. Regardless of what comes, regardless of what happens, God, you're good. And so Paul wants to talk about this. And notice 
The reason that Paul can continue on, I think, with such joy is because notice what he says, that I, the prisoner of who? Of Christ Jesus. He's not a prisoner as a result of the Roman government or somebody riding on him or something happening in a negative way. He's a prisoner because he recognizes, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. God, in other words, is sovereign. God's the one that's in control. And there's nothing that is gonna happen regardless of what some governments might do, regardless of what, my peop- what some people might do. There's nothing that can happen that overrules what God has already determined to happen. And Paul can recognize that this is exactly right in the will of God because I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of this or that person. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm sold out for the Lord. I'm living for the Lord that no matter what I might now encounter or endure, it's all good because it's right in keeping with the Lord's plan and purposes. And this is the heart that Paul has in all of this. Now put yourselves in his shoes. How would you feel? How would you What would you be experiencing this time? Would you be complaining or grumbling, wondering, God, why have you done this? Why are you letting this happen? Or would you just be rejoicing in what God has already done in your life, what he's already accomplished in your life and the work that he's continuing to do in and through you? Because God is at work here. And and I want you to know, no matter, you know, if you encounter the worst conditions in this world with Christ, it'll still be far better than the best conditions in this world without Christ. If you experience the worst conditions in this world with Christ, it'll still be better than the best conditions in this world without Christ. Paul's sitting here going, man, I might be in prison, but I'm in Jesus. And that wins out every time. And I'm thankful and he's rejoicing because he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And notice he says, and this is for you Gentiles. See, Paul was called to God to be a minister to this once despised group. The Gentiles were that group that was just despised and hated by the Jews. And yet God calls Paul to be a minister to the Gentiles. And it's ultimately in that ministry that got him sort of, you know, thrown into prison because he brings Trophimus, this man from Ephesus, he brings him to Jerusalem. He's a Gentile, brings him to Jerusalem. And remember, we talked about this last week that in the temple, there were some divisions there that Gentiles couldn't go past a certain point. But some people began to say, Oh, Paul's bringing this guy, a Gentile, into these areas that they shouldn't be. They falsely accuse Paul of this work that's going on. And so Paul gets charged, he gets thrown in prison, but you know what? Paul's not upset with the Gentiles. He's excited that they're being brought into the family of God. He's excited, as we'll see, that he gets to be called to be a minister to these people and for these people. And he says, this is worth any prison sentence that I might encounter or endure now when Paul writes there in verse 2 and I don't know if we read that yet but verse 2 says if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you now Paul's not asking or wondering at this point if they've heard this good news that he's been sharing this is rather a way of using provocative language to engage his audience in thinking about this magnificence or the magnificence of God's grace. In other words, it says, though Paul is saying, since you have heard of this incredible grace that we've been given in God, since you've heard of these things, and he's looking to encourage and challenge and build up these Gentile people now. So he uses this interesting phrase, the dispensation of the grace of God. So what is this dispensation of the grace of God? That word dispensation 
is the, the Greek word economia, or, or economia. That's how you say it, economia. That's a tough Greek word there, as they all are. But it's taken from the word ekos, and it means house, and then adding the word nomos, meaning law. Now, our English word economy is taken from this Greek word economia. I said it wrong again, but you get the idea. So this word ultimately means a stewardship or management of a household. In other words, God has different ways of managing his program through different ages or time periods. Now understand, his principle, his principles or the word never changes. God doesn't change his mind and say, well, you know what, I was doing it this way before, but uh, I don't think that's working. I'm gonna do it this way now. No, he's saying, I'm gonna carry out my word and my purposes in different ways throughout different ages. That's what is called dispensations here. It would be like, and that idea, manager of a household, it'd be like me, manager of my household and how I manage, say, my family or my kids. Now, when my kids are all younger, I'm gonna manage them in a different way than I might now. I'm gonna be like, listen, I don't want you guys going outside unless you let me know. Let me know where you're going, what you're doing. I wanna make sure that everybody's safe. And, and now, as they're older, the way that I manage them is very different. I'm like, what are you doing home? Get out, go do something. Check in with me tomorrow. You know, like that kind of thing, right? It's like, it's different, it's a different time now. And I'm gonna manage them differently. And so there was a time where God had his people under the law. That's one dispensation. But now he's operating in this age of grace as we'll talk about as we continue on here. But notice Paul begins to kind of fill this in a little bit more here. And he says in verse three, he says this, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So the mystery that, again, we're going to be discussing further, is not something that Paul came up with on his own. This is not some personal agenda that he's trying to say, well, I think this would be good for us to talk about in here and, and, and how to lay things out. No, he says, this is something that was given to me by revelation. We don't know when or, or how that kind of came about. Paul had extensive time being trained just by the Lord, you know, for a period after his salvation. So he's receiving this by revelation, but this isn't just him going, hey guys, I've received revelation from the Lord. Hear me now. No, he says, this has been given also to apostles and prophets. Remember, we saw last week at the end of Ephesians 2 that the church was being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, it was being built not upon, you know, what they said, but upon what they shared through the word of God. As God was giving them scripture, the word of God, they were prophesying, they were sharing that. And that's what the church is being built on, the word of God. And so this revelation has also been shared with apostles and prophets here now. They've been, they've been receiving that here. And um, I think I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Did we read that already, apostles and prophets? Oh yeah, at the end of verse five, I jumped ahead here. Look at this, let me read verse five. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and, and prophets. So he's been passing this on. It's not just from him. Others have received this as well. Now this mystery that he's identifying here in verse three, as he's briefly written already, because he spent some time in chapter two talking about it, this mystery again was not something that was, you know, for us to try to figure out as though God had some hidden messages that we needed to try to crack the code over. 
Paul says a mystery, and a mystery biblically was something that was once concealed in the Old Testament, but has now been revealed in the New Testament. This is a work that God has been unfolding that was kind of unclear to people at one time, but now has been made out in the open and clear to people. Now, we use that saying sometimes that God works in mysterious ways, right? It's kind of what we title our message here. And just as we see glimpses of this work of grace in the Old Testament, it was kind of under wraps. It was all there for us, ready to be revealed at the right time. And the same goes for us today, my friends. There's a work of God that's taking place that we don't always see in the immediate. We can look at all that's going on in our, in our world today and kind of go, oh my goodness, this looks so dark, so bleak. And yet, we oftentimes don't understand or realize exactly what God is doing. And that he is at work carrying out his purposes and his plans. And they're all coming into fruition. God is indeed working in mysterious ways. And we keep trusting him and looking to him. Now, Paul says this mystery, again, was something he'd already briefly written about. He'd he'd written about it, uh, talked about it in chapter 2. But he identified it in in chapter 1, verse 9 to 10, where Paul says there, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So that's that mystery right there, bringing everybody together in one new man, as he identified in chapter two as well. But we'll get more deeper into this as as Paul takes time to further explain this and talk about it. So look at verse five again with me. Let's read a few verses here. Verse five which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So again, we've seen that mystery was kept under wraps, but by no means was it something that was a new work in a sense. Because throughout the Old Testament, God has been giving hints and clues that he's going to do a work where Gentiles are going to be involved. This wasn't an afterthought for God. It tells us in Genesis 12, verse 3, speaking to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He doesn't say all the Hebrew families. No, all the families of the earth. And then in Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In other words, to every man, every person, every human has the opportunity to come and be received by Jesus, by his grace, receive that forgiveness of sins. So this is something that has already been talked about, but there are people through the Old Testament looking at all this going, okay, all right. I'm not sure how that's gonna work exactly. How's this gonna unfold? Now they may have thought, okay, the Gentiles might be saved, but most likely they'll be saved into some kind of secondary salvation separate from us. Little did they know that Gentiles would now be brought in on the same level as the Jews through faith in Christ. The Jews, if they had heard that in the Old Testament, they'd been thinking, what? How's that gonna work? No, Gentiles kind of equal, you know, bad sin in their minds, right? They're thinking, how can we be brought together as one? That was the mystery. And, And now we see this all coming together as Paul is talking about in Ephesians, how the Lord is bringing everybody together as one in Christ, the ministry or the mystery being unfolded, that they should be, notice what Paul says there in verse six, that they should be fellow heirs. They're not gonna be brought in as kind of a a second class citizen. 
in this economy of God. They're going to be brought in as fellow heirs with every blessing recipient of the promises, partakers, he says, actually, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The very things that the Jews were looking forward to and holding on to, we are the beneficiaries of all the blessings and the promises of God. Paul says here, no, they're gonna be also partakers of all these promises in Christ. They're gonna be brought in at, at a, a, a equal footing as the Jews. And it's all gonna be done in Christ and through Christ. So not only was this an unlikely thing that people really didn't see coming regarding Jews and Gentiles coming together as one in Christ, well, it was also a very unlikely thing to see Paul becoming the minister of such a glorious truth as Paul takes time to say, I've been called, verse seven, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. You see, if you were in the early church to gather some people together as a council to say, okay, we need to find somebody that we can use to go and proclaim this great truth of life in Jesus. Who are we gonna find? Paul is not making any short lists at that time, right? He's not making any, any list. What is Paul doing? He's out hunting down Christians. He's out trying to break up the church and send people into prison or death. Paul's not the guy that anybody's looking to to say, hey, why don't we ask Paul if he wants to join along in this plan? No, he's not the guy. And yet, miraculously, God comes and he saves Paul and he restores Paul and he uses Paul now to be this incredible minister of this great gospel of grace. I think it's why Paul can sit in prison with a little bit of sympathy and understanding because he's like, man, I sent a lot of people here. That's probably time I serve my own time here now because he's like, I put people there myself. Good that I get to experience this personally now. But here he is, and he's excited that he's a minister of the gospel, and it's something that nobody would have seen coming. I think that's so awesome. Just to think that, you know, there's nobody that we can write off and think, nah, God can't use them, or God can't save them. I'm not going to bother with them because pff, I don't think they're going to be receptive. There's nobody that we can write off because God has a way uh, of just breaking through the hardest of hearts and doing a work which is always by his grace and mercy. Now, may we never write people off, but keep seeking the Lord, praying for people, continuing to be that minister of this good news here. And notice Paul's attitude. And this is why Paul could just, I think, be used so wonderfully of the Lord. Notice what we read in verse eight. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What does Paul say about himself? I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the least. Now, what's interesting is earlier, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, for I'm the least of all the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Now he says I'm the least of all the saints. Now, before he dies, as things progress, guess what he says about himself there? In 1 Timothy 1, 15, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Do you notice that progression with Paul? The more that he grows in Jesus, the more that he grows in humility of himself and recognizes I'm nobody. Sometimes what can easily happen for us is the longer we serve the Lord, we begin to kind of get puffed up in our own accolades. Oh, do you know what I've done? I've faithfully been doing this for 10 years, 20 years, 
Oh, I've done so much for the Lord. Yes, I've really grown. And, and we can begin to puff ourselves up. But I love the attitude of Paul. The more that he grows in Jesus, the more that he realizes he's a nobody and he's undeserving. He's not just the least of the apostles, by which he could say, at least I'm an apostle. No, he moves on to say, I'm the least of all the saints. But at least I'm a saint. But then he moves on to say, you know what? Put all the sinners together, I'd be the biggest one. I've got nothing to stand on in and of myself. It's all by the grace of God. It's all about the Lord. And I pray that the more we grow in Jesus, the more that we just recognize the greatness of his grace. And the more that we recognize the greatness of his grace, I think the more that we recognize how much I need grace. And it causes us to start looking at other people with more grace, without judgment, without pointing fingers to recognize, man, who am I? I'm nobody. And that's exactly, though, the kinds of people that God wants to use. We can never begin to boast in ourselves. Whenever you think that you're somebody or you've got something to offer, remember what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.27, that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Whenever there's something good happening, whenever there's something great being accomplished, just remember, that has nothing to do with you. Because God takes the foolish and the weak things so that when something good happens, people can't look at you and go, you did this? No, they're gonna look at you and go, I know you didn't do this. It had to have been God. That's the only way that something good is gonna come from you. It's gotta be God. And that's exactly it. And that's why we need to stay in that place of just humility and recognizing I'm a nobody, but Lord, I've got somebody, I've got you that is gonna do that work. And when we allow him to do that work, then he gets all the praise and the glory for it, not us. So Paul recognized that that grace was given to him by God just in saving him. But this grace was also given to him to share with others. See, Paul sought an extreme privilege to share the unsearchable riches of Christ, as he says at the end of verse 8. The unsearchable riches of Christ. These riches, you see, are not just from Christ, of which Paul talked about in chapter 1, but these riches are essentially in Christ, or more so, it's Christ. He's our treasure. He's the one that we're looking to. We're not looking to see what we can get as far as benefits from Christ. We're simply looking to Christ to be our treasure, to say, Lord, it's you that I want. Well, I'm thankful for salvation and grace, forgiveness of sin, but Lord, I just want more of you. You're my treasure. You're the one that I, I seek, that I wanna know more. Now, this word unsearchable is not just speaking about that which is inexhaustible, which I believe that certainly has a part to it, but that word unsearchable ultimately is implying that which is unknown. The Greek word for unsearchable, let's say this together, Okay, you will skip that right, okay? Anexineastos is how you say it. Anexineastos, that's a great Greek word too. It sounds like a diagnosis for some sickness or something, but it means this. It means that which cannot be traced out. In other words, Jesus is beyond finding out. Oh, listen, yes, we can seek him daily and we can get to know him and we spend time with him and we grow in our knowledge of the Lord. But here's the great thing. You will never reach that point where you say, okay, I've got it, Lord. I know it all. We, we spend enough time together and I'm, I think I'm good now. 
No, every day that you spend, you're gonna continue to learn of the greatness of God. You will never go beyond just knowing it all. And just every day you spend with him, you will continue to just discover how truly wonderful he is. That's the great thing. It's like every day, it's like, Lord, you just continue to amaze me at your goodness. You continue to overwhelm me. That's the unsearchable riches of Christ. You will never go to the outward limits where you go, okay, I've seen it all now. You'll continue to just be amazed at how good he is. What a joy it is to live for Jesus, to know him. And I pray that you continue to search him out daily because they are unsearchable riches of Christ. So verse nine continues on. Paul says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul desired that all people would come to know the wonderful reality of this mystery. Now that word fellowship of the mystery, that word fellowship is the same word that he used in verse two for um, dispensation. Again, speaking of that stewardship or management of a, of a household, this administration, this mystery is not just something that we are to know, but it's also something that we are to make known. Do you see what he says in verse 10? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. You see, we're to be those that are, are living, and, and what is that mystery again? That Jews, Gentiles be brought together as one, in Christ, saved on the same level by faith in Jesus, by his grace, where they make up this new man. In other words, there's to be this unity and togetherness and, and fellowship. And we're to be a church that's making that known. You see, we're ones that we come together, you know, like again, those living stones. Some of those stones are shaped differently. Some of those stones might look differently. We all come from different backgrounds and experiences but it's amazing that as we come together, there's such a divine fellowship and unity because we're one in Christ. We all come with that same experience as sinners saved by grace. And the world can look on and go, how does a group like that function? How come there's not more disputes and, and arguments? It's because and we're just living for Christ. We're just one in him. I'm no better than that person. I'm no different than that person. Ultimately, we might have different experiences, but... In Christ, the, the ground becomes level, you see. We're all on the same footing in Christ. And there's a great unity that we're to be demonstrating and showing among us. That's why I pray again that all through what we're dealing with right now, regardless of what you believe or think, and I pray don't let these things become divisive. Don't look down on other people for not thinking the same way you do. And just lovingly come alongside them, encourage them, pray for them. Let's be, let's be loving, let's be the church that walks in unity together here on these matters. And not only that, my friends, but my goodness, we're not just demonstrating this and making this wonderful mystery coming together as one known to the world. We're making it known, what does he say in verse 10? To principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's the angels. Do you understand that angels right now are looking down. You see, I think in times past, as they began to see this kind of plan unfolding, they're all probably sitting there thinking, God, 
I don't know if that's the right choice, man. I don't know if these people are gonna be following along. I don't think you can really depend on these people. And they're all probably sitting there going, Lord, I don't know about this. I think you need another plan here, you know? And the angels are all probably going, God, what else you got here? But now suddenly God says, just watch and see. And the church comes together and Jews and Gentiles begin to fellowship and enjoy life together. And they operate as a church serving the Lord. And suddenly angels are watching this going, I can't believe it. They're all sitting there together, worshiping you, God. You did it. How does that happen? And they're watching all this unfolding and they're amazed. We begin to be a witness and a testimony even to the angels of the greatness of the grace of God at work in our lives as we operate together as one and celebrate and worship Jesus Christ. They're watching all these things amazed. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Oh man, that's so cool. Isn't that exciting to think that angels are watching you? And they're just, it's causing them to rejoice in their father all the more because of what he's done through us. There's like, God, man, we've been with you for a long time, but my, you continue to amaze us to see what's happening with those people down there. Never would have saw that coming, but boy, you're good, God. They're just celebrating that. Now, when Paul says there in verse um, 10, that manifold wisdom, that's an interesting word there. Manifold means variegated or, or multicolored. The, the idea in this word is that the grace of God will match up to any situation which life may bring to us. There's nothing by way of light or of, uh, of dark, of sunshine or a shadow for which it is not triumphantly adequate. It's like looking at that kaleidoscope and you see all those shapes, you know, colors moving around. It's like God's grace is just so much more than we can oftentimes just see at surface level. It's a manifold wisdom. It's a multi-faceted, multi-colored, multi-shaped kind of grace that just continues to be poured out and astound us. And we, I think, just keep growing in the wonder and the beauty of it. So this work has been God's eternal plan. And, and purpose for us. Notice what he, he says there in verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This has been, again, not an, an afterthought, not plan B. This has been an eternal purpose of the Lord here. Let's finish up with verse 12 and 13. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. So because of this great work in unifying us together in Christ, notice what Paul says, we have, we have access now to our Heavenly Father. He's brought us in as one, given us life in Him, but He's also allowed us to stand in Him now so that when we approach God, we're not approaching God on, on our merit, we're approaching God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ now, which should give us not just an understanding of access, but confidence. I think that's wonderful. How many times do we kind of come to the Lord trembling over, man, my week has not been where I've wanted it to be. Man, I've been really failing and faltering in certain things, and oh my goodness, God, we come sometimes with fear, but man, we're in Christ. And yet, we know that there are times where we're gonna falter and fail, but that's covered in Jesus, we're 
forgiven through his work on the cross. Yes, we, we continue to seek the Lord uh, forgiveness for that cleansing of just restoring fellowship with him. But you see, we stand in the righteousness of Christ by which we come boldly as, as the writer of Hebrews would say in verse Chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, because we are now in Jesus and we're in his presence, we have an open door now to God's presence. We have that invitation and availability to come now freely, which is just so amazing. Now, some might have thought, looking at Paul's current situation, they might have begun to doubt What's going on, Paul? Like, we have access to God, but here you are in prison. Have you not made, taken advantage of that? Have you not come to the Lord? Doesn't God love you anymore? And you see, it is so tempting to look at our circumstances and at times wonder where God is or does he even care? But Paul knew that even in his, in his imprisonment, God has not left him. Paul still has access to God. Paul still has that opportunity to just enjoy fellowship with God because he's in Christ, because of what Jesus has done for him. The gospel, and so Paul is, is, is looking at these things and he's going, I'm still excited because there's still the work of God going on. The gospel is going out. People are getting saved. Scriptures now are being written because Paul's got some time where he's hanging out not doing much. Might as well write some word of God here. As the Holy Spirit leads them. But now scripture, Paul is recognizing that God's work is still being fulfilled, being accomplished. It's still going out. And he's recognizing this is for your glory, my friends. This is for your glory. This is for your benefit. People are being blessed and encouraged. And, and others now, Paul would write elsewhere that others are having more boldness to preach the gospel because of Paul's imprisonment. Man, it's continuing on just to further the work of the Lord. Paul being in prison doesn't diminish God's work. It's allowing it to even grow more. It's an amazing thing to see how God works, the things that God does. And there's never reason for us to look at current situations and go, well, it's a good ride. Guess it's all done now. No, God is still at work. And there's nothing that can happen in this world that can ever thwart God's plans. Jesus said about his church, the gates of hell will not prevail. And we keep on seeking him. What's interesting, as I said, so now next week in verse 14, we finally pick it up in this prayer that Paul wanted to start in verse one of chapter three, but took some time just being overwhelmed at all that God's done. So we'll pick it up next week in verse 14 as we look at this prayer. But what's interesting is this has been a whole kind of parenthesis that we've seen from verse you know, one ultimately, or verse two, all the way to verse 13. It's a it's like Paul uses a literary parenthesis to explain a dispensational parenthesis because as he's been talking about this great grace that's been shown bringing all, the, all people together, that's the, that dispensational age that we're in right now, this church age, this age of grace that we're experiencing. See, God throughout Old Testament times was working in and through the nation of Israel primarily. When they rejected Jesus, Israel was put aside temporarily. Not rejected, not done with, but put aside, blinded in part, but God is going to begin to work with them again in a future day. Right now, he's gathering the church together, his bride. And one day that bride is gonna be raptured up and God is gonna to begin to work with his people Israel again and use them once more to be a witness to the whole world. 
during the tribulation. See, God's prophetic clock really does operate or revolve around Israel. And we're living in exciting times, my friends. We're living in this age right now, the church age, where, uh, again, I believe the days are short. And when we live with this kind of view of what's happening on a prophetic kind of time clock, man, I think all the more the things that we see happening, we're the ones going, all right, bring it on. Because it just means the Lord is coming soon. We're living in interesting days, my friends but we're living in in days that we as the church who has this mind on the work that God has done and is continuing to do in a prophetic way that we can live with excitement to know that this world isn't what we're living for. We're living to see Jesus. And that I believe is happening soon, my friends. Let us be ready, let us be hopeful, let us be expectant, let us not, not falter in the tribulations of other people like Paul is saying here, don't lose heart. Just keep on expecting that God's purposes are prevailing and let us be a part of that in all that he has for us. Amen. Worship team, let's, you know what? Let's let's close, let's sing, are you here? Let's sing a bit of that song, yeah. Let's just sing maybe a verse or a chorus of that song here in closing as we just kind of look to the Lord and, and respond to his word here today. Let's pray, let's stand together here. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Oh, God, we're so grateful this manifold wisdom. I've seen this mystery unfold where you bring us all together as one. And God, we're thankful that you've always been at work and you continue to work and you do work in mysterious ways, ways that we don't see oftentimes. But Lord, we know that you're carrying out your purposes and plans and may we live not by sight, but by faith, having trust in you, confidence in you. May we be quick to run to you and and just depend on you and all that you're doing, Lord. And may we be used of you, God. We've been told how we're to make known this great mystery. And I pray that we would do so. That we would live in unity, in love with one another. But that we would live as the church standing for you. That might look different than what the world would expect. But may we, by faith, just live for you and stand strong for you in these days. Give us strength. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us, Lord, to carry out your work here. In this time, we ask in your name. Amen.